I was uh, talking to a friend of mine this week, and uh, he's from Kansas, and he started talking about crops, which I had no idea what language he began to talk in, because I don't know crop language. And he, he was just talking about, like, crops in Kansas, and he grew up on the farm. He was going to take over his dad's farm, and we were talking, and I was like, man, Andrew, tell me about crops. He's like, in Kansas, crops are cash. Crops are cash. And then he began to tell me the story of this gentleman who lived near his father's farm, who recently Andrew would drive by and notice that the harvest of this man's crop had yet to be harvested. And like day after day, my friend Andrew was like, man, I'm driving by it. And I'm like, it's spoiling. I'm like, it's spoiling. Any farmer knows. I'm like, it's spoiling. It was a half mile by half mile. And like, it's spoiling. It's spoiling. And finally, it was never harvested. And uh, he read in the paper how the reason behind this is the farmer had hired out help. And uh, while he left and there was the men who helped forgot. Like they literally $50,000 in crops. They just forgot. They had other clients. They were busy. They got distracted. They forgot. And my friend Andrew looked at me and he said this. I'll never forget it. He said, Todd, a harvest without laborers is a tragedy. A harvest without laborers is a tragedy. And I began to process that in my own life because my own life said, you know what? I'm not a laborer. I, you know, I, I'm different. You know, I, 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 I'm not to be a part of God's big mission. You know, I'm, I, my dad told me growing up, he said, Todd, go where the money is. And I said, okay, dad, where's that? He said, be a teacher. And so I said, okay, I'm going to be a teacher because my dad, you know, he was this elementary principal. I would go to his, his elementary school and I would see these kids who just loved him and looked up to him. And I remember him saying to me, Todd, do you want this? And I was like, yeah, dad, I want it. And he's like, do you want to be king of the halls? And I was like, yeah, I want to be king of the halls. He's like, then go to college and be a teacher. And I was like, I am. He's like, you'll never work a holiday. You'll have every summer off. Yeah, you'll make 32000 a year. But if you marry a teacher, you're going to make sixty-four. <laughs> and I'm like, I want that. I want that. He's like, picture it, Todd. Picture it. You can retire at 55, buy a Winnebago, and drive to Yuma, Arizona, and dwell. And I started tearing up. I'm like... That's the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. You know, I'm like, you don't mess, you don't mess with your parents' vision, you know? And so to me, when I got to college, even as a Christian, you know, I was like, man, I am a good Christian. You know, I listen to Amy Grant and I, I go to church, you know, I had a high bar, you know, I did. I'm like, I'm good, God, thank you. And, and I remember getting in this Bible study and, and, and praying for the Arab world and being like, man, that is so not me. Like, you know, I couldn't have named one Arab country, you know, and, and, and I was like, man, that's so not me. See, Lord, I'm different. I have a personality. I have debt. I have parents who care. I have a degree that's going to pay. I don't wear toms, you know, I don't, I can't be a missionary. Like that's just no thanks, not for me. And as, uh, as God began to grip my heart, I realized, you know what? No matter what age or stage you're in, a harvest without laborers is a tragedy. A harvest without laborers is a tragedy. And when I began to see this book, the Bible, as, as God's story, my story began to be pushed aside. 
And that's the tension we face this morning, isn't it? Whose story are we going to live for? Are we going to live for our story or God's story? And I promise you this, your story will not end with every tribe, tongue, nation bowing before your throne, but it does with Jesus's. And so that's the story we are called to live for, to be laborers wherever, just as long as we are involved in the harvest. And so we're going to start in Genesis chapter one, and we're going to roll all the way through to Revelation just to look at the quest that God invites us on. This quest of being involved in every tribe, tongue, people, and nation coming before his throne. And we all play a part. Genesis chapter one says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. God says, Adam and Eve, I want you to fill the earth. I want you to populate physically, but also spiritually as the waters cover the earth, so the knowledge of me. Well, Genesis chapter three, man sins. Genesis chapter six, verse five, it says, every thought of man is evil. You're like, man, this is depressing. And I'm on page seven. (laughs) You know, I know it is. And then don't worry, it gets more depressing. God floods the earth in chapter seven and eight. One family steps off the ark in Genesis chapter nine, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them this, the same command, fill the earth, fill the earth, fill the earth. And so as I'm reading, I'm asking the question, does God get the earth filled? Does he get the earth filled? Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. No matter where you went on planet earth, people spoke one language. That's it, English. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. They said, come, let's build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. There it is. There's the problem. Self-absorption. So that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered on the face of the whole earth. We are always chasing our story instead of trading up for God's. And so what happens? God comes down and he sees the city and the tower they're building and he touches their tongues and they become confused. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. Genesis chapter 11 represents the end of the introduction in the Bible. You can go to... Barnes and Noble, and you can, you can go inside and you can pick up a book, and every book will have three things. It will have an introduction, it will have a plot, and it will have a conclusion. This is not just 66 separate books that church history threw together. This is one book. The introduction is from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, and the role of the introduction is to create tension. Genesis 11 creates that tension. How is God going to reach these nations that he created? 70 languages spread out. Today, there's 6,912. How is he going to get his name to all these nations? That's the tension. For me to fly to Papua New Guinea and learn a language and translate the scripture, a quick translation is 14 years. Imagine doing that with 6,912. So the introduction, we we feel this tension. What's he going to do? The plot begins in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, the plot begins where God picks one man. And from that one man, you will see him raise up a nation and a church that goes from Genesis 12 to Jude is the plot. And the conclusion is in Revelation. Introduction, plot, conclusion. Genesis chapter 12. The three most unifying verses in all the Bible. Genesis chapter 12. I call it the Abrahamic revolution. 
Genesis chapter 12. You're like, Genesis chapter 12? I've never even heard of it. How is it the most unifying? Fear not, little flock. We'll get there. Genesis chapter 12. God looks down and says, Abram, leave. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You'll be a blessing. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. But here it is, Abram. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. All peoples. All peoples. Get used to hearing God say that. He's going to repeat it about 1,600 more times. All peoples. And the reason I call this the Abrahamic Revolution is because this is where God's mission hits motion. In Genesis chapter 12, God invites Abraham, join me and touch all nations. And he left as the Lord told him. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Jacob, just like Isaac and just like Abram, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and they will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. At this point, if you were just to pause and be like, I got to tweet something, I got to tweet something. Here's what I would tweet. Here's what I would tweet. God blesses his people so the gospel goes to all peoples. God blesses his peoples so the gospel goes to all peoples. And I'm not even out of Genesis yet. God blesses his peoples so the gospel goes to all peoples. A friend of mine named Hudson was a student at University of Arkansas. And he lived his senior year in the international dorm. And he meets this Chinese student. He takes the American name Samuel. And, uh, and, and Hudson's like, you know, it's Thanksgiving break and Hudson's like, Hey, Samuel, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And of course, all the internationals stay put while the native Arkansans go out and back home. And, uh, and so Samuel's like, I'm doing nothing, you know? And so, uh, so, uh, my wife says all my accents sound Irish, so I don't know. <laughs> I am doing nothing. And so, uh, uh, my friend Hudson's like, well, man, why don't you, why don't you come to my house? Listen, I live in a place called Mountain View. Oh, Mountain View. Mountain View, Arkansas. And it's they got two stoplights and it's the Folk Music Hall of Fame. And Samuel's like, I'm in. And so, uh, uh, they get, they get to Hudson's house and Hudson's mom like rolls out the red carpet. I mean, she's like cooking for Samuel. She does Samuel's laundry. She lets him, you know, play with, they, they make, the, they, they let him in the, in the family picture, <laughs> you know, they're like, we love you, Samuel. And, uh, and the last day, the last day that they were heading back to Fayetteville, um, uh, Samuel is in the kitchen doing dishes. And Hudson's mom's like, no, Samuel, no, what are you doing? And, uh, and she's like, man, you're a part of our family. Don't do this. No, we'll take care of that when you leave. And my friend Hudson said that Samuel looked at his mom and said this. If you want me to feel a part of the family, I have to have some of the responsibility. If you want me to feel a part of the family, I have to have some of the responsibility. And I just resonated with that because I'm like, man, how many followers of Christ were in the family, but we refused the responsibility of harvesting this crop, of being a laborer of being involved in God's global mandate. We say, no, thank you, Lord. I can't. How many of us want the blessing of salvation but refuse the responsibility of taking it to all peoples? 
And God, from Genesis to Revelation, the story continues. Why did he give the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel? As they came across the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amalekites, and the Jebusites, all these ites looked at the nation of Israel and said, your God is different. And this is what he says through Moses. I have taught you these decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. The nations are watching us obey. And they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Or what about Pharaoh? Why did God raise up Pharaoh? He says this, I have raised you up for this very purpose, Pharaoh, that my, my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. It just keeps going. Why did God give Solomon wisdom? The queen of Sheba seeks audience with Solomon some 1,200 miles away from Yemen to Jerusalem. Why did God give King Solomon wisdom? Again, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fiery furnace. And what happens? King Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan Babylonian king, writes a letter to, I don't know, peoples, nations, men of every language who live in all the world. But that's a lot of people. And then Daniel 4 is a worship service to Yahweh, literally, from a pagan Babylonian king. And it keeps going. Isaiah 49.6 is too small a thing that you be my servant and restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that you might bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jeremiah 16. O Lord, my strength, my fortress in time of distress. To you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say our fathers possess nothing but Hinduism. It did us no good. Our fathers possess nothing but false gods. Worthless idols that did us no good. Zephaniah 2.11, the Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys the gods of the land. The nations on every shore will worship him, everyone in their own land, over and over and over. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. Incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations. But what do I do? When I come to the Bible, here's what I do. You might be different. I do this. Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? I spend a lot of time in Ephesians because I'm there a lot. And I highlight, memorize, and underline all the blessings that I get. I remember, I don't know exactly how this happened, but I remember I went to, I was reading through the Psalms and I noticed that I got to Psalm 67 and I'd read it before because you know how you come across passages that like you've underlined and you're like, oh, I underlined that. Wow, that's so cool. Like it must've meant something to me, you know? And uh, I remember I'm like, oh, look, Psalm 67, it's underlined. I mean, it focused on Psalm 67 because it's underlined and that means it's important, you know? And And I I remember I was reading verse 1. Here's what I underlined in Psalm 67, verse 1. I I underlined, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And I just had a happy thought. (laughs) And I thought, oh, I better read the rest of it. And as I read the rest of it, I realized something. Here's what I skipped. Here's what wasn't underlined. In seven verses in Psalm 67... In seven verses, God mentions his desire to see all nations reached 13 times. In seven verses, I memorized verse one. I underlined verse one. 
about me. I skipped the other six verses about God's heart for the world. Let me read the whole thing to you. Let you count. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples and the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase and our God will bless us. Our God blesses us that the earth may fear him. I got verse one. And we miss God's story because we're so self-absorbed and high-maintenance people. And we come to the Bible and it's like, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Instead of saying, God, where are you? And what are you doing? What are you doing? I remember we were speaking at uh, Kent State University. There was a couple of hundred students who were Christians who came to the meeting and uh, after the meeting, I went out to the foyer and uh, I was taking some notes at this table. And I remember specifically as I'm writing these notes, a dog came up to my shoe and started licking it. And, you know, you begin to process stuff rather quickly. You're like inside dog licking foot, rabies, whatever. You know, you're like, wow, this is weird. You know, things start going through your head. You're like, what's going on? And I, I remember looking up and uh, I saw a guy and his, his name tag said Billy. And uh, I realized rather quickly that this was Billy's seeing eye dog. Billy was blind. And, 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 and I, 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 I was like, hi, what's up? Can I, can I help you? And Billy Adams looks at me and says this. He says, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. <laughs> Bro, you are good. You are good. You just find a little niche here in ministry. I'm sure you got some good stuff going on locally. You are good. And he goes, what's the problem? And I'm like, Billy, I, I don't know where to send you. He's like, why? I'm like, you're blind. Like, I, I don't know many agencies who work with, with blind people to send them overseas. And he looks at me and he says this. He said, he said, why do I need eyes to preach the gospel? Why do I need eyes to preach the gospel? I was thoroughly convicted at this point. I spend time every week with hundreds of college students who have excuses the weekends with people in churches who have excuses, right, on why they can't be involved. And I'm standing toe-to-toe with, with Billy. And I'm looking at Billy going, man, here's what I hear every week, Billy. I can't go overseas because I have debt. I can't go overseas because I have kids. I can't go overseas because I, I bought this boat. I can't go overseas because I just signed a two-year iPhone contract. I can't go overseas because dot, dot, dot. And I look at Billy and I'm like, Man, he would trade us any day for the obstacles and excuses we say we, on why we can't be involved. And when you transition to the ministry of Christ, he's inviting us. Push through these obstacles and excuses. His story is greater to live for. The ministry of Christ, the majority of his miracles were done towards non-Israelites. The demon-possessed man of the Gadareans, the centurion's servant healed. The healing of the Canaanite's daughter. And when you get to, to Matthew 24, the disciples ask Jesus a question. 
Jesus, what's the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answers him. He says, well, there's going to be an increase in wars, false prophets, famines, earthquakes. But we know the answer because it goes back to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I called it the most unifying verses in the Bible because God promises Abram, right? I'm going to bless you to bless all peoples. So we know when the disciples ask Jesus this question, it's going to have to do with the gospel going to all peoples. Jesus, what's the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Well, here it is. It's, it's when this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony. Then the end will come. And then Jesus lays out five commissionings. There's five great commissions. There's not one that's a missions myth. There's five great commissions. It would have been fine for him to have one, but he gives us five. The first great commission text is in Matthew 28, 18, 19. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the first great commission text. And it talks about depth, make disciples. The second great commission text doesn't have anything to do with depth. It has to do with breadth. The second great commission text is Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. That's about get the gospel out. The third great commission text sounds completely different because it was given on a different occasion. Luke 24. This is what is written. Christ will suffer and rise from the dead. And on the third day, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. And the fourth great commission text is in John 20, 21. Forty times Jesus is referred to as the sent one. For God's so love the world that he sent. I was sent for this purpose. On the 41st time, Jesus looks at the disciples and says this, As the Father sent me, so send I you. That means if you're a believer in here with a pulse, the question is not, am I sent? But it's to where? Some of us in this room will go further geographically. Some will literally cross an ocean. Some will cross the street. But we're all sent ones. We're all sent ones. God blesses his people so the gospel goes to all peoples. Everyone in this room has been blessed. Different ways. How are you using it? The fifth great commission text is in Acts 1.8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, some area, and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8. It's about power. It's not our own strength. Five commissionings. Why five commissionings? I think it's five commissionings because you realize the further you read in the Bible, the more the nation God raised up Israel is blessed. And the further you read in the Bible, the more disobedient they became. It's an, it's an interesting phenomenon. The more God blesses his people, the more disobedient they become. And I think about, you know, even in my own life, how God has blessed us. But what happens is the blessings I'm holding kind of end up holding me. And you can't let them go. It's like, man, I need, I need. And you just become busy and you forget the harvest because you're busy balancing the blessings that God's given you. I think that's why Paul the Apostle says this in Romans. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And then the most mission passage in the Bible that summarizes God's mission I've never heard it preached at a missions conference, but it's Galatians 3. Here's what it says. Christ redeemed us. Us. If you're a believer, you've been redeemed by Christ. Why? Why are we redeemed? So that 
Genesis 12, what God began in Abraham and moved from Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to David, to the prophets, to Jesus, to us. It comes to us that so that in Christ, the blessings that God began in Genesis 12 will find their way to all nations, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Genesis 1 through 11 is the introduction. Genesis 12 through Jude is the plot and the conclusion is found in Revelation chapter 5. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. What God began at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, he concludes as the throne of God in Revelation 5, 9. Unfortunately, though, this is not what the world looks like. Actually, this is called the 1040 window. 10 degrees up from the equator, this box, it goes 10 degrees up, 40 degrees up, and stretches all across Asia. Three billion people approximately live in this box. Every major world religion was birthed in this box. And 88% of people currently breathing in the box will never meet a Christian. 88% will never meet a Christian. It's the most unreached section of the world. Four out of every 100 missionaries go to the box. Four out of every 100. It's a very difficult place to minister. And so what does this mean for you? How does this affect you? I think you have two options. You're either a goer or a sender. You're either a goer or a sender. What do I mean by goer? By a goer, I mean someone who goes across the ocean. Maybe God might have you change your zip code. Maybe, maybe, maybe by going across the ocean, you, you give two weeks or maybe two years. This church has a passion to get people from the pew to the 1040 window. And so that's why you're going to hear, hear countries like India and Mali constantly like, man, we want to get people to the box. And they're, they're looking for people to volunteer. And so maybe you go for two weeks and pray about a lifetime. You, you can go across the ocean. You can go across the street. Northwest Arkansas presents a, a very diverse section where the nations are here. You can't fly into X and A without noticing that. And when you think about our own lives, we work with Hindus. Our kids play soccer with Buddhists and our doctors are Muslims. The world is here. Are you educated and equipped to, to reach out? Go across the ocean, across the street. Send. What do I mean by sending? Giving. Giving sacrificially. You know, I was telling, I was telling a friend of mine, I'm like, man, no, one, no, one has mo- no Christians have money until it's time for vacation. Right? Then all of a sudden it's like, where did that come from? It's the Lord, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he wants me to go see Nickelback. He does. <laughs> I need to. You know, on this offering, the global mission offering, everything you give to the global mission offering, 100% of that goes to global missions. 100% of that. You can give. You can pray. You can send by praying. Here's a book called Operation World. 911 pages. A friend of mine named Jason Mandrick wrote it. He lives in London. He's 35 years old. And, and, and Operation World is every country on the planet in alphabetical order and how you can pray for it. And a friend of mine named Joe bought Operation World. 
And he's like, I'm going to pray through every country. And I'm like, Joe, are you serious? Every 214 of them? He's like, they're all dated, right? Starting in January. You can pray in alphabetical order. He's like, I'm going to pray through every country. Hold me accountable. So I'm like, all right, man, I'll hold you accountable. I'll, I'll, I'll call you in a week. So, so I call him in the week and I'm like, hey, bro, day seven, you should be on Bosnia. He's like, God hasn't let me turn the page. I'm like, what? He's like, I'm on page one. God hasn't let me turn the page. I'm like, what do you mean you're on page one? He's like, I'm on page one. He won't let me turn the page. I'm like thinking, what's the first country in alphabetical order? Afghanistan. I said, what do you mean he won't let you turn the page? I can't not pray for Afghanistan. A month later, Joe, Estonia, Afghanistan. He's lived in Afghanistan for 10 years. He prayed for the country. God laid the country on his heart and he moved to Afghanistan. You almost feel sorry for Zimbabwe. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, you take A's, I'll take Z's. And then finally, you can sin by getting educated. Starting in January, there's a course called Perspectives every Tuesday night from 6.30 to 9. And, and it's far enough away that you're not, you, you don't have any problems in the schedule. Third week of January, it starts. It goes for 15 weeks. This, the, the, Northwest Arkansas is going to fly in some of the greatest missions thinkers every Tuesday night for you to come here. It's called Perspectives. Pick up a brochure. Learn about it. This afternoon, from, from 1 to 4, we're going to look at how to reach people both across the ocean and across the street. If you have four hours on behalf of the world, come join us. I, uh, I have a Bible study at the University of Arkansas on Friday mornings where I meet with, uh, with college students, and it just started last week. And I was meeting some of the students, and I, 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 I have this guy, Tanner, who's, uh, who, who's in the study. He graduated from Fayetteville High School and I was getting to know him a little bit over coffee. And I was like, Tanner, man, tell me about yourself in high school. He's like, man, I, you know. I was like, oh, tell me about yourself. He's like, no, yeah. I was like, well, tell me about yourself in high school. Well, yeah. And I was like, man, what made you unique? You know, I mean, did you play soccer? Did you play football? He's like, well, yeah. uh, he, he said, I, I, uh, I, I did the Rubik's Cube. I was like, what do you mean you did the Rubik's Cube? He's like, I mastered the Rubik's Cube. I'm like, did you have a girlfriend? He's like, no. I was like, what do you mean you mastered the Rubik's Cube? He's like, man, I solved the Rubik's Cube in less than two minutes. He's like, the world record's 13 seconds. I was like, are you? And I just started becoming like enthralled. <laughs> like he's selling me. I'm like, I'm married. I'm safe. You know, I, I was like, you know, I was like, man, tell me about how to solve the Rubik's Cube. He's like, man, he's like, um, He's like, actually, in high school, I would solve it so much, and, and people would bring it to me and time me, that eventually people began to say, will you show me how to solve it? They began to bug me. And he, he would tell me the story about this one guy who bugged him every day. So, Tanner, teach me to solve the Rubik's Cube. Teach me to solve the Rubik's Cube. He's like, no, no, no. Finally, Tanner's like, fine. If you want to learn how to solve the Rubik's Cube, bring a brand new Rubik's Cube to lunch tomorrow in the box. So the guy's like, oh, God, this is awesome. And so um, the guy, uh, Tanner tells me the guy sits down at the lunch table and slides the new Rubik's Cube in the box over to Tanner. Tanner opens the box, pulls out the instructions, and slides them back. (laughs) 
And he says the secret to solving the Rubik's Cube is to read and obey the instructions. But nobody does it. Read and obey all of them. And you know, sometimes when we look at our life, we get like one side figured out. Oh, it's all blue. Look, I figured out who I'm going to marry, you know? And then you flip it over and it's like, but I don't have a job, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And it's like, hang on, hang on. I can get yellow. Oh, I, I I know where I need to work. But now my marriage is a wreck and my kids are disobedient. And I'm discontent because I don't know what quest God wants me on. And God says, if you want to know, read and obey all of it. Not just the parts about you. Not just what we like. And you will see that indeed, God blesses his people so the gospel goes to all peoples. Let me pray for us. Father, I just pray you'd raise up in here goers and senders just right now put it on our hearts and maybe you have have people who think they're senders to be goers and people who are supposed to be goers and senders lord but you you're the one who decides who works where in your harvest i just pray you would raise up laborers lord that you would send us out not with our story but committed to your story We ask this in your name. Amen.